You know, I just want to say again how much I love and appreciate and I'm thankful for the cadets ministry to thank Dave and Dave and all the other leaders and dads for helping put on a program that really encourages boys to be rooted and grounded in their faith. And I'll admit, I, uh, I like a lot of our ministries. I am biased to the cadets because I have a nine-year-old son who goes and he absolutely loves it. And probably our favorite activity, you may have seen some of the pictures of it, uh, we have an annual four-day camping trip, which if you're new to cadets or a little tired this morning, it's a camping trip that lasts for four <laughs> days. And uh, most boys try and drag their dads along, or a lot of them do, and I just love being with my son Jude on the camp out for four days. And there's lots to do. There's a setting up tents and campfires and learning activities and worship and inspirational speakers. It's fantastic. But probably the thing that the boys look forward to each year the absolute most is something that they do anytime there's free time and it's fishing. It's so nice. They love it. There's this dock and guys will go out with a, a fishing pole and they throw out a line in the water. And every once in a while, the boys remember to put bait on the hook. Like, that's the level of fishing we're at. So you don't have to be good at it to enjoy it. And then every once in a while, the dumbest fish in the lake sometimes get curious. They're like, how come there's a group of boys talking over here? So they swim over. And uh, I don't know, they, they're wondering why people are throwing rocks in the water. And they get curious. And every once in a while... The dumbest fish in the lake sees the lure of something with a sharp hook on it. And I've seen it. They take a bite out of it, and they get trapped and pulled in. This is a picture of my son Jude with a very big fish that, to be clear, he did not catch. Of course, someone from Sussex caught it. But uh, <laughs> I took the picture because I was pretty sure this is as close as we we're going to get to seeing a big fish. And I was right. But right around the time I took this uh, picture... I, very, I had to very quickly put my phone away because there was a, another big splash and one of the other boys uh, in our, our little group got so excited that somebody finally pulled in a fish that out of excitement he got a little bit disoriented, a little distracted, didn't quite look where they were walking along the dock and this poor kid, as we were looking at this fish, he lost his footing and he fell in, fully clad. He's wearing long sleeve, long shirt, and the cold water was murky, uh, heavy shoes. And we were so fortunate he could swim. We're in a large group. I ended up pulling him safely out of, the, out of the water into the dock. But it was crazy. One minute he's there holding a pole trying to fish. The next, he's disoriented, soaking wet, heavy, with nothing for his feet to stand on. A great kid, one of my favorites, uh, he, was, he was fine, he did great. But I was thinking a bit this week about that feeling. What it feels like when you're not expecting it, but something suddenly happens that shocks you like falling into water. When you've lost all your footing. That feeling of, you know, one day you've got something solid for your feet, then you're just, you know, up seams down, down seams up. And to be honest, I've never accidentally slipped off a dock like that, as far as I can remember. But I've definitely had all those feelings. I've definitely felt like I wasn't sure where to step next. I've definitely felt like I wasn't sure what was next, or I've lost a sense of security. And I'll bet that you have too. It usually starts by a sudden surprise, a disappointment. You're putting one foot in front of another, you're doing the right activities, and then, 
boom, you get that phone call or news alert or you get that call from the doctor or you hear about so-and-so who did that again or I never thought that could happen because we thought we were walking in faith on solid ground, but there are unavoidable moments in the life of Christians where it feels like you've got nothing to stand on. You're drowning, and you're just flailing around. There are moments when you don't feel rooted or established, because setbacks have this way of setting you back. Disappointment has the capacity to rock you in ways that hurt your security. And in that moment, you feel like you are mentally and spiritually dragged to a place where you do not want to be. This is a natural part of a walk of faith. We all go through seasons like this, where you want to walk in faith, you want to be secure, you want to be rooted and established, and you want to be on a firm foundation, but you find yourself disoriented, like the ground beneath you just failed, it's slippery. And you you could describe it in a thousand different ways, but what comes next is not what you expect. A cancer diagnosis, loved one passes away, medical complications, relational dysfunction and hurt, and there is a almost endless list of things that will test your faith. Today, we're gonna talk about it. We're in a series that we're calling Walking by Faith, where we're opening up this amazing book of James and going paragraph by paragraph, learning how to follow Jesus. If you were here last week, we started with the second verse in James, a provocative verse where the brother of Jesus says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is an incredible verse. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Last week, we said this verse tells us two things. One, like it or not, as God's family, brothers and sisters, what's normal is to face trials of many kinds. What kinds of trials? Lots of kinds. Suffering, disappointment, many kinds is a list as diverse and as long as each of our experiences. But here's the headline, while you're on earth, you should expect to face unavoidable, undeniable circumstances that will test your belief in a good, powerful God who loves you. That's the first thing. And when you do, somehow, you can consider it joy. Not happiness, not an emotional high, not having a smile all the time, but there is a way to not drown when you lose your footing. There's a way to survive. Somehow there's a way to have joy, to be both content and satisfied and grateful because God is, we talked about this last week, God is, uh, James explains, God is big enough to uh, use circumstances to make you stronger than we kept reading. God is generous enough to when you ask for wisdom to give it to you, to give you wisdom. And then last week we talked about this sometimes forgotten irony that Jesus himself suffered. That was last week. This week we're going to go a little bit deeper through the book of James. Here's what we're talking about. We all naturally react to suffering. You may not be able to control what happens to you, but you control how you react. And in those moments you are tempted when you're feel like you've walked off solid ground, 
your head goes somewhere strange sometimes. You are at risk for both temptation and deception. We'll talk about this. And look, I wish we didn't have to talk about this. I wish I could tell you that being a Christian meant you're always having steady, clear steps in front of you. But the fact is, in the Bible, the hard part about being a Christian is somehow it seems like the ones closest to the Father, like Jesus himself, often they're the ones who have the greatest suffering. But here's why I'm so excited about this today. I'm convinced that when you learn what it means to be rooted and grounded in love, what we're about to learn, even when things fall apart, even when you lose your footing, the gospel gives you the power to thrive in whatever life throws you. So let's just dive right in. We're in chapter one of James, verse 12. I'm just gonna read it. James says, blessed, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials. Because having stood the test, that that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This may sound familiar. It, it probably sounds like what they call beatitude, something Jesus would say, or the Psalms or Proverbs, blessed are. You could fill that in. If you look at it, in the blessed part, there's a test, and there's people that endure the test. The test, as we talked about this last week, it's trials from various kinds. And what the verse says that people who persevere, who keep going through trials and suffering and obstacles get, see what it says here, crowns. It's an image of the Olympic Games where you run a race, you lift a lot, you fight a lot at the Olympics. And when you hit that finish line, you get a crown. When you keep going and don't give up, you get a reward. And to be clear, it's not a royal crown of power or a Greek laurel of honor, it is a crown of life. And a little bit more nuanced, the crown is received, not necessarily earned. It's a gift. The crown of eternal life and blessing is one given to someone by grace to those who trust the Lord. We could just unpack this for a while, but big picture, here's a headline. This verse is a normal Christian life. This is what being rooted and grounded is. It's a life, a walk of perseverance. The Christian life is one of having perseverance, which is to say, if you look at your life and go, something's wrong, uh, it's a series of obstacles, you are in really good company. Rooted and grounded is, I'll point this out to you, it's a love for the Lord, which is a diagnostic question. If you're not actively loving the Lord, maybe you're not rooted or grounded. This is talking about a life with an eternal, glorious destination, even if you're exhausted in the race, even if you feel like you're treading water or at risk for getting down or exhausted, you're in a temporary test James sets you up as. Testing is uncomfortable. Winning is glorious. That is the overarching perspective that James gives you to give you endurance. If you could see life as a series of tests with a prize at the end, that helps you. Because when you're exhausted, when you're disoriented, when you can't take any more bad news because you're tired of keeping on, keeping on, when the disappointment exhausts you, the thing that seems to help you is to have this orientation. 
to take a breath. The dock is here. The fish are there. The dock is here. You don't have to tread water forever. In fact, James says to people who are really, really suffering that the finish line is worth the agony of the walk. Your future crown of life makes your struggle look worth it. It's a crown of life ahead. Now, he's honest enough to keep going and articulate the problem. You know what the problem with disorienting suffering is? It's disorienting, right? Like you pray and your problems get worse and not better. That just messes you up a little bit. You almost, this this is normal. You can't help but wonder, like, does God really heal my loved one? Does God really care? Does he really help? Because here I'm praying and it's not getting better. Maybe this is just me, but I've noticed when you do that, something happens in your soul. You start reminding yourself of what's true. God is big. He gets all the glory. God has a plan. I could trust him. And you say things that are very, very true, but when you get disoriented by suffering, when things look upside down, you you twist it a bit. You go, well, God's in control, ergo, the reason why I'm here is because God put me here. Uh, And sometimes it doesn't always make sense. You go, God, uh, I was upset about whatever, so I did something wrong. I kicked my dog. I drank too much. I ordered a car online, and it's a pink convertible. But uh, we go, it's not my fault. This is God's fault because he has a plan, and somehow I ended up in the water and did something dumb. I try to keep away, away from real examples. If you did any of those things, I, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm looking for a pink convertible just to make sure no one ordered one online. But James says to help us get oriented, to say, it's not like that. In fact, he says, I'll read this. When tempted, he says, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. This is a topic shift. And the reason the shift is that there is a very important difference between suffering and giving in to temptation. And when you're suffering, we mix up the two because it feels like it's all sort of the same thing. But this is really, really important to know. God may allow you to suffer. He allowed Jesus to suffer. But what you do next is up to you. Temptation, like your choice to do something dumb because you're suffering, is your choice. Your decision to go down a bad path because you're in a bad spot is your decision. The thing that makes difference a difference is your attitude. Like God may have allowed, I don't know, a, another fake snow day, but don't blame God if you yell at your kids like it's their fault. That's a nuance here, right? You may not be able to escape suffering. We live in a broken, falling world, but you all have the choice about how you react to it. And it usually looks like one of two ways. You are able to understand trial in terms of testing, to go, this is hard. I feel like you're going uphill, but there's a prize. That's the first way to look at it. And when you see trials, various trials of any, many kinds, your life looks like perseverance and joy. Or lots of people do this. Lots of people experience the same exact uh, stimulus, but they react in a different way and go down a path that leads to sin and death. James warns us against option two. What you need to do is see the perspective, endure trials in a way that make us stronger out of love and hope. That's the first option James gives us. The second one is 
I'm just going to read what James says here, but you've noticed what happens, right? You ever notice that two people go through the same exact problem and they react in two different ways? They talk to siblings raised in the same messed up home and one escapes in substances and one works really hard at being a good parent. Like, it's so interesting when you think about how suffering causes dysfunction, you ask, why do, do two different people go through the same exact thing and act differently? Now, James offers this take. It doesn't explain everything, but it's helpful. James says that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by, look what it says here, their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. In other words, people are different. We all react to different ways because we're all somehow programmed different. One fish likes a worm. The other one likes a shiny lure. The other one likes random fish bait. I even saw a kid catch a, a fish off a hook with no bait on it. I don't understand that fish. But the fact is the same. Well, when you bite a hook for whatever reason, it's harmful. And I think what this verse nudges us to is to be really, really sympathetic to people who react in different ways to suffering. One commentator puts it this way. It's a little heady. I'm going to read it anyway. He said, what one person finds as intense temptation, someone else may not care. They may never experience it even as a faint enticement or vice versa. Temptation, he says, seems to be tailored to the individual. So as believers, we must never belittle the individual we're struggling with something we would never struggle with. Instead, we must realize that each one of us have particular battles that are custom designed specifically for us, and we, most, we must give both grace and encouragement to each other. To stand firm in times of testing, conversely, we must always flee temptation, regardless of how little it may feel or seem the people around us. James says, the commentary continues, that these inner longings that are different for everybody entice us and pull us away from the Lord. This is kind of a big deal. The thing is, suffering can lie to you. You may go through a circumstance you can't avoid, but you can't avoid what you do next to hurt yourself. And we're all tempted, I mean, similar to how Jesus was in the wilderness. Asked by Satan, does God really care? Did God really say this? Like Satan in Genesis, does God, does, did God really say that? And you can't be deceived by the inevitability that sin tries to lead you down. The doubt that, when it's hard, you start doubting that God is trustworthy or that he's good. And I've seen, you've seen, people get lied to by disappointment. For me, I think the saddest thing is you'll see people walk away from faith, nudged by suffering, and they don't really consider what else they have to stand on. They're stuck here treading water going, I don't really believe in this God thing, and they drowned because there's nothing else that they could stand on. And I think that's one reason why in our culture, folks who've walked away from faith 
are such a dark space and so much despair and escapism. So James says, he just throws it out there, don't be deceived, don't get lied to, because you're getting lied to. The truth is, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. When you suffer, you are at risk of getting lied to. So you know the truth. The truth is that God gives us good things. James repeats what Jesus says in Matthew 7, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? For you then, though you are evil, Jesus says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, look at this, give good gifts to those who ask him? Being a kid's hard. You don't see everything. My kids, you can ask them later, they ask for a lot, and they usually don't get exactly what they ask for. Happens all the time, like at dinner, I hear the silent or sometimes loud police. Daddy, mommy, if you really loved me, we'd be having more ice cream and less vegetables. And they don't understand. Their parents don't give them what they want. Uh, Ashley and I try and give them good things, and that's not always what they want. Healthy food is not what they usually want. And sometimes they don't want it. Sometimes they're upset, going, you know, you're supposed to give me good stuff, I have bad stuff. And in, in the metaphor, we're all like impatient kids, and God is like a better parent than I'll ever be. He knows what he's doing. God knows what we really need. So trust him, even if you don't like what's on your plate. The encouragement is ask God for good things, even if what you get isn't exactly what you asked for. And God's not finicky. Like, we're like the kid that complains, come on, Dad, uh, one day you give me ice cream, the next day you're telling me to eat not ice cream. Can you make up your mind, please? Like, we think God is finicky like that, but he's not. God is faithful and consistent. We may just may not understand what his timing is. And then James just drops this. God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In other words, speaking of good things God gives us, the word of truth, it's shorthand for the gospel, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he saves us who trust in him. Those are good gifts that God gives us. We're born again to a crown of life. It's like that conversation Nicodemus has with Jesus where he asks, how can I be born again? And When John summarizes the answer, it's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Here's the good gifts. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that son, Jesus, who we worship, that son, Jesus, who God loved, suffered. Jesus suffered immensely. And he could have sinned. He was tempted, right? Jesus prayed and God did not answer. The father did not give him exactly what he asked for. And instead of, instead of doing all the things that we get enticed to do, Jesus followed the Lord. He persevered under trials. Uh, 
He's the one who stood the test. Jesus is the one who we celebrate having received the crown of life that, that God promises those who loved him. And we're Christians. We follow this one. We should expect just that. You may have heard these words a couple times already, but we're teaching the cadets to be rooted and grounded. And I'm convinced that getting this perspective about trials, how to understand when disappointment just interrupts the flow of your life. I'm convinced that if you could just see enough of what God is like and know, God, you are good, even though if I, I can't order off the menu like I'd want to. When that happens, when you trust God as your father, this comes true, that you being rooted and established in love, I think you were able to have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. When this happens, you get to see the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And when that's true of you, it's really different. I mean, most people in our culture right now, we are so vulnerable and insecure to suffering. And when it hits, most people don't know what to do. So you, you see so many people getting rocked by the news, by tragedy, by annoyances, by exhaustion. But what this verse says, if you could really start to grasp how big God is, how long and wide and, and deep is God's love, you would change somehow. You'd be rooted and grounded. And I think the thing you'd notice most obviously is your ability to keep on going when there's hardship, to when you're disoriented, when you're just flailing around trying to keep your head out of water, you're able to get this orientation. And being filled with the love of God doesn't just give you good perspective, but it's a life of faith that continues in hope forever toward a crown of life. Folks, that's what it means to be rooted and grounded so, Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us. Help us when we feel like we are falling and we've lost our footing. Help us when it feels like we've been treading water for a while and we're out of energy. Father, help us when we pray for something specific and you give us something very different. In those moments where we are tempted to give in to confusion, doubt, and despair, could you, with the power of your spirit, show us your love? Can you give us perseverance? Can you give us the perspective that comes, that we learned from scripture today? And can you help us to find blessing as we persevere under trials? Maybe more than anything else, as we think about being rooted and grounded, could you give us a closer walk with yourself. Speak to us through scripture. Be close to us in prayer. But we just plea, we pray that you would give us a close walk with you in the ups and downs, the shadows and the valleys and the mountains, wherever that leads, can it be leading close to you? We ask all this in the powerful, wonderful name of the suffering servant who you love your son, Jesus. Amen.